Welcome back. This is the 17th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. Joining me today to talk about artistic and creative motivations is Belgian DJ and producer Peter Van Hosen. Peter came up in the EBM era in Belgium, which, along with New Beat, formed his first experiences with electronic music. He picked up DJing and eventually production and live performance, always in search of sounds that moved him, thrilled him, or made him think. Exploring every corner of techno, experimental, and ambient, Peter's work, along with his iconic label Time to Express and his recent venture Center 91, continues to inspire. In this conversation, we discuss the many motivations that brought Peter to the place he's in today. So I would like to start with a quote actually from you, which is that in an interview of yours from, I guess it's been nearly six years now, uh, you said, I feel like there's only one thing for me to do in this life and that's to make music. Do you still believe that? Yeah, I definitely do. That's, that hasn't changed. I don't know. It's, just like, it's always been there and I think it will always be there, this, this truth. Can you tell me a bit more about that kind of philosophy? Like, what does that sort of mean for you with your... The rest of your life, I guess. I mean, everything sort of revolves around music for you. Uh, yes, I, I don't think it's actually a philosophy. Um, I've always considered myself quite lucky um, because even when I was very young, I just knew that that was what I wanted to do. And I, I know that a lot of people are uh, searching for a long time to find out what it is they're good at or what it is that they should do in this life or... You know, their calling, if you want to call it like that. Um, I never had that, so I think that's that's something I can um, I can be very lucky about. I mean, happy about because that's 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 a, a big thing I didn't need to go through. So it's always been there. Um, it's still there. My guess is it will probably always be there. I mean, so you never had that sort of search, is what you mean? No, the only the only difficult moment related to that was um, accepting it. Accepting that actually that was just the only thing to do. Um, that takes an am- amount of time and an amount of courage to like uh, say, okay, let's now just accept the fact that you're here to make music and, and just get on with it mm-hmm. and stop doing any other things that might distract you from doing it. And so like when you say you had this moment of accepting it, was it like you tried other things and then they didn't work? Or was it always music for you? Like, did you have other jobs when you were I, I've, I've always done music uh, in, in one form or another, uh, be it as a small kid who went to music academy um, after his, you know, obligatory school time, or uh, a teenager manually connect, collecting music and going to concerts or even later at that, a university student um, becoming a DJ. And, and, and eventually somebody who, you know, has always make, made music in some form or another in parallel to all that. But yeah, I, I, I never thought, in the beginning at least, that this was something that I could, um, I could do for a living. 
because I guess I mean where electronic music is concerned, it hasn't been that long that like a DJ has been a career choice sort of thing for most. No, people. yeah, indeed, indeed. And and my experiences uh, at Music Academy were not so positive because um, I've, I've always was was involved with electronic instruments and back in the day. Uh, traditional music academies did not really like that. They wanted you to play like, a, at least in Belgium, they wanted you to play like a piano, the piano or a trumpet or a violin or, you know, if I told them like, look, I'm, I'm actually playing the electronic organ, they were like, no, that's not a real instrument, man. Um, <laughs> we, we don't like that. So that, the yeah, I'd say that... that um, um, to get back to the question, yeah, I've done I've done th other things, but eventually I had to cave in to the fact that you know I'm, I'm somebody who's here to make music. What can you tell me about the way that that sort of singular vision, or I guess one track mind, has influenced the way that you think about music or the way that you make music? I think in in certain regards, having this sort of yeah one track mind or this sort of like clarity of okay, this is the the purpose. Um, it helps you be less distracted, I suppose. Um, you know, um, I sometimes want to do other things. Mostly these, these are creative things, some things that I've actually done before. Um, but then eventually this one-track mind just, just pulls me back in and says, no, 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 just stick to this because you've got a lot more other you know, no, a lot more things to say. Mm -hmm. So don't try and start something new before you finish this. Mm -hmm. um, I think in that regard, it's a great help, but it could also be a burden because maybe, you know, there's, there's something really interesting out yeah. there and then this one track mind just tells me all the time, like, no, 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 don't go out there, just stay in the studio. Right, right. like what is actually interesting, you know what I mean? Exactly, if you don't go out there, you don't, you don't know, you will not, you will not encounter it. Uh, so I, I mean, I'm actually at this very point um, in time. Are, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about these issues, like how, how strongly can you dilute this sort of sense of ah, that's where I have to go, because mm -hmm. things might seem very absolute when you're um, when you're you know young and, and you have this singular vision. But I think when you get older, you also realize that nah, there's very little absolutes out there. Everything's kind of very relative, and things aren't necessarily the way they have to be. So that I think in that regard, having this one-track mind sort of yeah stops me from doing certain things I maybe should be doing. Yeah, I mean, does it also put a bit of pressure on you because it's like this need to make music? Do you ever feel like trapped a bit by your one-track mind, I guess? Well, trapped? No, I don't think so. Because like one thing that usually happens when I'm, let's say, I'm, I'm, I'm away from the studio for three weeks, I start to feel anxious and, 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 and there's certain things that, that start to like get on my nerves. And it usually takes me like a couple of days to, to figure out like, what was going on? You know, why do I feel so uneasy? And usually, yeah, after, after reflecting a bit on it, it's like, oh, yeah, but well, wait a minute. I haven't actually made music for three weeks. So it, it's much more a thing that um, helps me get through life instead of something that, that uh, life sort of puts in front of me and I have to do it. Right. What about when you are having a creative block or something? You feel like you can't create something, but you have to. 
Yeah, obviously blocks like that suck. <laughs> <laughs> My solution to that is to do something else, but it's still music. For instance, like in the last six months or so, I finally found my way back into into the techno environment because for me these are all spaces that you go into because I, I was not happy with what I was making for a long time. Um, that's why I haven't released anything for a while. Uh, but during that time, I've made a lot of other music, which um, first of all was fun to do. Um, what kind of other music? More experimental, non-rhythmical, just freestyle stuff, um, just playing with my instruments and, and not worrying about what comes out or, or you know who needs to listen to this, whatever. Um, and that sort of bridged the whole creative block that there was. Um, so in a way, I, if, you, if you learn to accept it, it's like, this is not working, well, then, then just do something else. In my case, the something else is still music related. It's, it's still making music. It's just making other music. What about when, if you think about in the future, maybe one day when you have to stop touring for whatever reason, um, do you feel like if you had to, you'd be able to give music up easily? Mm, I don't really know why I should do that. I mean, touring is just a, a very small part of it, right? Um, giving up music? No, because um, I've made a lot of music just for myself which will never be released. Um, and I, I don't see any reason for not continuing to do that. So even if there is not no longer a career that involves releasing music and going to tour and present the music to people, there is always the, the joy that I have playing with my instruments and, and, and creating something, regardless of who is listening or going to listen to it or, or whatever context that you put these things in. Um, no, I don't think that will ever go away. When we talked about the theme for this conversation as being sort of motivations, I was kind of coming into it with a mind that that was a lot of pressure for you to be under, uh, just like having such devotion to music. But the way that you're describing it sounds like a lot less pressure than what I had in my head. Totally, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, for me, I, again, you know, as I said before, some, sometimes music is even some sort of like a release for pressure that builds up. Um, I've had it so many times that coming back after a long time of absence in the studio and you just work for two or three days and suddenly you feel so much, I feel so much better. And it's like, oh yeah, okay, oh, thank God, yeah. Music has saved me again, you know. So it's, it's not really something that, that is there as, as, a, as an obligatory thing to do. It's more something that frees me from certain, certain stresses or, or negative energies. There is, of course, related to the career, uh, there are a number of issues that that are not as carefree as as you know you might think hearing me say all these things now like what um well you need to go out there and play yeah <laughs> <laughs> um people don't buy music anymore so um um if you uh, are not in a position to to perform your music as a musician well you only have, I think, two options. Either you're a genius and you still sell a lot of music and you're able to live off that music, or you have another job. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's as simple as that. Same thing goes for songwriters, to people who are, you know, always, you know, the, the invisible ones who made the tunes. Um, I don't know what happens to these people these days, but 
I think they're having a hard time. I mean, it, you know, back in the day, you you'd write a few hit songs and and you'd be settled for life. Um, I don't think that works anymore right now. Especially in electronic music, I think. I, there, I can definitely tell you, it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you need, as an electronic musician, you need to go out there. Yeah. Do you also feel like you have to go out there and support other people's events, like just go out and hear music in general, maybe to get inspiration or something like that? Yeah, that, that's that's definitely something that that you know I I don't do often enough. I think um, I usually find out about interesting concerts a week after they have to place here in Berlin. Um, but it, it's it's sort of a I also like to be away from things that could influence me because sometimes I I just want to figure it out by myself. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like if I'm if I'm planning to interview somebody and somebody else interviews them like two days before, I won't read it just because I exactly. don't want it to like influence my questions, you know. I have the same thing with concerts. If if I have to play a show um, before somebody or you know, like in a, in a context where um, you might be influenced by it, I I prefer to not be too close mm -hmm. somehow. Especially with live shows, with DJ sets, it's different. But if if if, if I need to play a live show, then I I prefer to just come in. And, and, and do it. But so talking about this kind of pressure of needing to go on tour or go play shows, what about when you don't feel like playing? Does that ever happen to you? Um, that usually happens before I have to leave the house. Okay. <laughs> I get that too, actually. Yeah, but I think that, 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 you know, I think many, many people have that when they have to go to work. Um, luckily, I'm, I'm still, um, I, I really don't, have this thing of, of feeling that I need to do the shows because I've always, and, and this is from a very young age, I've always wanted to do the shows. I distinctly remember my first DJ gig, if you can call it like that. I was 16 years old and I was, there were maybe, I don't know, 30 people there and it's nothing compared to what, you know, we, we do today. Um, but I still remember thinking like, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, and these people are listening, you know, yeah. you, you brought your records from home and you were playing the records that you like so much and the people are listening. Mm. Some were even moving. Uh, this is awesome. <laughs> and it's sort of still, it's sort of still the vibe that I go for. That's a really good point that it really is interesting that you come and bring your favorite records that you're listening to and people love it. Sometimes audiences, don't love it <laughs> or are busy with other things. Um, and that's cool, but that, those are obviously the moments where I'm like, oh, this is a bit sad. You know, you could have danced a little bit more maybe. But then there's also uh, situations where, where you're like, wow, these people really get it. And, and oh, what about this one? Can I play this one now? And then they're like, no, they get that one too. And so you, this is how you can slowly move somewhere beautiful. So Talking about you as a kid or as a younger person, um, have you always been this sort of laser-focused, like one-track mind kind of person? Uh, what were your interests like when you were a kid? Yeah, I think you can say that it's been, it's been mostly music. There were only a few things that I, I vaguely explored besides music. I was, I was doing martial arts for a long time. Um, I like to read a lot. I still, I mean, even back in the day, I come from a family of readers. I distinctly remember Sundays at the house, my parents just would read all day. That's nice. But there would be just this quiet, sort of peaceful, nothing, nothing would happen. You just read. So I still do that a lot. But besides that, you know, I do the obligatory visit to the gym because, you know, you have to. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, martial arts, I've, I've given up. 
So most of the time it's 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 music and, and obviously enjoying traveling and seeing new new places and I read a really nice story of yours where you were talking about driving around in Belgium when you were younger. You were listening to the radio when Dominator by Human Resource came on <laughs> <laughs> and you said that that was a really impactful sort of experience hearing this track on pop radio. I ever I said that to, to someone? Yeah, that was in like a, a Beijing newspaper or something like this what okay yeah <laughs> well, that's correct that was quite a moment yeah i was I, i still remember actually the street i was driving in i was driving in my mother's car uh i probably had gone out you know the weekend or something but you, you still were sort of i don't know this period this 90s period was very weird because you weren't sure that this thing was going to go somewhere you just knew that you and, and a lot of other People were were in 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 this thing together. It was a very collective atmosphere. But you also knew that that a lot of the other music industry people and and, and media people in radio and television did not like it. So we, we were sort of like, well, maybe this is over in two years. But then hearing the track, um, which even to this day is still one of my favorite electronic music tracks, hearing that on the radio in the national charts. And like not 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 like in bottom position, but way high up. Number one. Like probably number one or two or three. I don't know, like way high up. That sort of was a moment where I thought, this is cool. Like we won. You know, it's it, it's it's it. You know, you have I don't know what cheesy pop music they were making back in the day, but see, I don't I don't even know that. But I distinctly know that Dominator was on, and I you know you you know this tune because you've been hearing it in the clubs in the past weeks and you found out about it and whatnot and then it's on national radio and that was sort of a moment where i thought hmm nice one right so it, was that a moment where you could kind of imagine this as a career for yourself or like why was that such a motivating factor for you in terms of wanting to pursue music um i don't think it was related to to my personal situation then it was you know in terms of career or whatever it was just that around that period and, and even a few years before when when new beat came on we were distinctly not liked by many people <laughs> you know people who went to clubs where they played electronic music uh, there must be something wrong with these people i mean that you have to sort of Try and imagine that situation in relationship to what we have now, mm -hmm. where you know it's totally accepted. You know, big energy drink brands are sponsoring half of the scene. You know, back in the day, there were vicious attacks from media on on that music. Right. You know, I I mean, I'm talking about. It was the same in America, also. I'm yeah, American. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was the same everywhere. Yeah. But I distinctly remember in Belgium that the you know you have one uh, radio station which is part of the national radio uh, um, conglomerate um they serve the younger audience in in belgium they refuse to support that music although a big part of the younger people were into it that radio station for years adamantly refused to play any of that music even before that when front two for two was touring half the world they would not acknowledge that Bel that Belgian band. So there was this constant uh, atmosphere of it's us versus them. So when you have that us moment, when Dominator comes on, you're like, 
you know, your middle finger goes up and you're like, yeah, at least we've got that. Now, obviously, in retrospect, well, we were right, weren't we? <laughs> at the time, it was, it, was, it was a bit of a struggle going on. And then when you're young, you know, you're a teenager, you feel kind of, that's cool. Right. That's what I mean, you want to be part say, of. I like, what role does representation play for young people in that respect? Like, I guess it's sort of nice to know that you're not alone in the thing that you like. Totally. It's all about identifying yourself. You, 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 you're totally identified as a little bit the outsider, I suppose. But you also thought of yourself, uh, at least I did, that I had the better tasty music. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you know, you walk around with an incredible volume uh, of, of, of arrogance and hubris when you have that age. So you think that, you know, you've seen the light and whatever. Um, so I think, I think being part of a group is very important. Uh, it wasn't a big group. I thought that was cool. Um, and these people were also like vaguely artistic. And, and so it, there was everything that, I was attracted to, um, so that made total sense to to be part of that group. And regardless of that, I always had an, an immense fascination for for when, what went on in clubs and, and during the night. I've always been a night person, and I've always thought like I have to I have to get in there somehow. Um, it seems to have worked out pretty well. It worked out, yeah. But that that for for many years was. I wasn't even thinking about job or, or a career or making music for a living, never. But I was thinking about, I need to get in there, I need to see what these people are doing and I'm probably going to like what they do and I need to do the same, whatever it is. I didn't even know. And, and so, you know, trying to get into clubs at a young age was, was, a, was a thing I, I, I spent a lot of time doing. Would you say that over time and experience, feeling represented becomes less of a motivation and more of a deterrent? As in, nowadays, you want to do what's not being done rather than what's being done. Does that make sense? That makes total sense, and I think it's correct. Um, but I also think that back in the day, that was also part of it. In a sense that I, I think it, it, it has to do with, you know, how you grow up, who you become in those, in those formative years. But I did not want to be part of something that a lot of other people were part of for some reason. I don't know which one. Um, so for me, this was already appealing from the start that this was a thing that not too many other people were into. Um, so I think that was, a vi that was part of the motivation for, for trying to link up with all that. But I also know from an even younger age that musically, um, and this is a completely other path, that musically I was always into synthesized sounds. You know, even pop tunes that were on the radio, I would like those pop tunes that had some synth sound in them or, or some drum machine, whereas the ones that were like made in the traditional fashion with normal instruments, I wouldn't like those. So that was also a part of it. So that there, was, there was this fundamental attraction that had to do with the musical element. And then at a later age, there was the attraction, you know, as a teenager, an adolescent, the attraction of wanting to be part of the group and also kind of assuming that it must be something special. Right. So you, you definitely don't want to miss out on something special. Right? I think that's also a motivating factor for people that want to go out and listen to music, you know, like, especially about like Berlin, for example. Yeah. I think there's a big kind Those of like, like myth around it, like Berghain. I mean, that's the obvious uh, sort of scenario, but I think the myth of the myth or like the, I don't know, ambiance around electronic music is kind of becoming bigger than electronic music actually is. 
Totally. Yeah, yeah. And 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 maybe as a side effect, and that's a bit sad. That that sort of, you know, that special vibe, that that the whatever, the sort of uh, the thing that would attract a lot of people is maybe slowly going away. Probably, you know, being replaced by something else that that people can use. But yeah, I think that element is is definitely different now than it was back in the day. Do you think that that is a sort like that driving force that you mentioned of like wanting to be part of this something special, is that still something that drives you today? Or do you feel like you're kind of going in a more experimental direction to get away from that? Or maybe there's also still something special in experimental as well. I, I think I think the answer to this to this is both yes and yes. Um, I do still believe that that today in let's say the broader context of electronic dance music just to focus on the on that there's still enough there that i find interesting enough to to give me exactly that what i need which is in 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 a big part the same of what i needed 20 years ago i mean it's still pretty awesome to to go to a club and 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 see what's going on and hear the music blasting away and you know seeing these people um sort of losing themselves that's that's still for me a big part of the attraction um i think musically maybe again you know there's there's always these there's always seem to be these two plateaus on which the the discourse goes discourse goes on you know like there's the music and then there's the more social element but musically i think it's definitely true that that um i'm trying to get away from it a little bit or at least within the context of that electronic dance music um happening i'm trying i'm not saying i'm succeeding but i'm trying to find something that hasn't been done before or 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 i mean it's a difficult thing to say because it's a difficult target to go for but at least trying to not repeat yourself too much let's put it that way that's that's a more modest i mean i think start. that's kind of hard because for example if you release an album that everybody loves and then you release your next album and it's too similar everybody's like oh that's too similar but if it's too different then everybody's like oh well the other one was better mm. so how are you sort of finding that balance between branching out and trying something new but also i don't know staying true to your sound uh by not caring what people think yeah. is that your whole answer yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, so actually, you've just uh, moved on to my next question, which is that I know you don't like to sort of concern yourself with what's going on in the rest of the scene around you. So do you think that your music benefits from that sort of eyes-closed approach? Well, it, it's difficult to isolate yourself, right? So my music will be influenced by many other th by many things. Um, I, don't, I don't pretend to be operating in total isolation. But um, what I mean with what I said before is that, you know, what, what people think who they are changes constantly all the time i mean you can apply this to to anything in reality everything just changes all the time so for you to be trying to to live up to whatever is out there well is 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 i mean for me personally de facto already you're playing a losing game because you you're you're playing against an opponent who is shifting shape so why would you even try that? Right, that makes sense. Because, you know, there's no... I don't think there's anything that, that, that can be gained from that. So you can only do one other thing if you decide that that is, you know, 
that is a reality, then it means you have to focus on yourself and then just make what you think you should make or produce what you think you should produce. Um, and, and that, for me, does not only go, f you know, apply to music. That applies to many other things. Um, there is also such a thing which is called empathy, but that's something completely different. And, 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 and those two things should never be confused with each other. Trying to tailor your output to an ever-changing outside opinion, I think, is counterproductive. When I spoke with Uwe uh, Atom TM, he told me that it doesn't really matter what's going on around in the music scene around him because for him, if even if somebody else is doing something that's the same as what he's doing, it's still him that's doing it. So by default, it's original because it comes from his own creation. Is that mm. also how you see it? Yeah, but that's totally correct. I mean, why would it no longer be him if, if somebody else does it? Well, that, that, that makes no sense. There's probably not even one other person who's doing it. There's probably 50 other people who are doing it at the same time. But that doesn't matter. You, you're still doing your thing. There is maybe an element to electronic music which, which you should not overlook. That's the fact that a lot of people think they have to be original all the time. I'm probably, during certain days, one of those people myself. Because, you know, you, you work with electronic music. Electronic music always had this sort of promise also through the technology that we use, that you can come up with new sounds and new ways of, of producing. So, you know, in contrast to, let's say, um, a blues guitar player, you know, there's, the, there's, there's only so many chords and the guitar is a guitar, you've got six strings. If you're lucky, you have got eight. But there's not much else you can do except for play the blues. Whereas in an electronic music context, well, all the tools that we've been given in the last 20 years, it's amazing. All the sounds that you can make with those tools. All the sounds are endless, you know. So what I'm trying to say, I think, is that at least give it a try, you know, to, to do something that nobody else has done before. At least try it a little bit, but at the same time, it should not become something that stiffens you. And I, I think that that's, you know, what, whatever it is you do, it's you, so it's unique, it's original. Do you think it's taken you a long time to learn that confidence? I think that takes a bit of confidence to kind of just do what you're doing and not really give a shit what everybody else thinks. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. I think, I think it took a while. Um, I, was, I was exposed to certain things through mainly music criticism, which... Uh, like criticism of your music or like yeah, music journalism? Yeah, okay. criticism of my music through music journalism. Regardless of the fact that I thought it was justified or not, uh, which it probably was, to be fair, you know, uh, whatever. And even if it wasn't, it's actually not important. What I realized is that it really put me um, ill at ease for a long time. And I thought to myself, this can't be right. I, you know, I still want to make music and release it out there and, and, and have people listen to it and give me feedback, even if they don't like it. But it's not really going to help me a lot if every time I receive something negative, I'm going to feel like crying for the next two weeks, you know? I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it, you, I felt really lousy. I felt really bad. But that's a good point. It's like, what are you going to do when you get negative feedback? You're just going to start making music? No, exactly. What are you going to do? No, you're going to, you're going to crawl into your hole. No, you, you have to sort of deal with that. I realized that um, for me, there was, there was, there was a, a very clear situation in front of me. Um, and I started to look at that and I, I found out like it's, it, 
it doesn't actually feel like it's me who feels bad about this. It's it's like this ego of mine which which sort of manifests itself every time somebody says something negative. I was like, mm, I, I I should deal with this because this is not pleasant. And that was one of the key moments that probably drove me into this way of thinking where I'm like, well, just just don't pay attention to what they say. That will sort of keep my ego in the back. It won't surface as much. And I've, I know for a fact that I'm much happier without the ego. So I just try to leave it, you know, in, in the backstage area as much as possible. And then you sort of, you sort of feel less pressured by everything. I mean, that's probably confidence, but it, it didn't come from my, from a certain wish to become more confident. Right. It became from a wish to be away from all the burdens of, of this little nasty voice in my head. I was going to ask you if it, I mean, it sounds like a really obvious question, but uh, I was going to ask you if you think that making music would be less fun if you had to sort of start thinking about what everybody else was was thinking of your music or the criticisms of your music or whether or not you were getting this booking or that booking or... I got totally nuts. <laughs> <laughs> this, would, I was, this, this was exactly what I was doing after a while. Not, not to that degree, but I, I, one of the reasons why I stopped reading industry news was, was I was seeing how other people were making records and getting better reviews than me. And I was listening to the records and I thought, well, that can't be fair. This is this is a very dark place where you where you're at, you know. That you you, sh you should, and I, and I think many people are are experiencing this when they make music, and when they come up in the scene, and you know, for a while people tell you that you're the next big thing, you know, you feel fantastic. We've been waiting for you, you know, whatever, and that lasts for a while, and then, you know, you're ditched. Chasing yeah. the high. Exactly. So don't chase the high. Because, you know, eventually there's going to be a low. So th that was very important to realize that, 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 that uh, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't make music for those reasons. And I also knew that actually most of my life I was never making music for those reasons. So it was just like getting back to, to some sort of reference point for me and realizing that yeah, you don't need the reviews or you don't need to know what's going on in the scene or who plays where or you know, who gets better reviews. And that took, that took roughly a year, I think. And, and it was over. And now I'm like, yeah, cool. They all get good reviews. Fantastic. I'm happy. But I just don't care anymore. I guess it's also sort of like, maybe there's a drum and bass revival or whatever it is. Like, does that, it obviously doesn't mean you're going to start making drum and bass because it's really just fleeting, all, all of it. Like, all these kind of genre comebacks. Like, you're better off just sticking to your guns, I guess. It's about time drum and bass came back. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, I think that's correct what you're saying. It, it doesn't make sense to jump on Trends. any bandwagon, yeah. although it might be very profitable. So if, if, if that is your motivation, then absolutely do it. Right. I guess, yeah, profit is where you really are... Really or, you know, profit or fame, these, these two go hand in hand. I'd say that from a purely musical perspective and from how you should or how you could move through life as a musician, that would not be a good decision. Definitely. There's an interview of yours where you're talking about uh, Sendai, is that how you pronounce it? Exactly, that's correct, yeah. Um, and you said that because we're operating on the fringes of things, that means you need a lot of patience. So... 
yeah, I guess, can you talk a bit about how patience comes into everything that we've just been talking about? Uh, patience, you can also like replace by stubbornness or, or <laughs> just, just, you know, hitting, hitting the same nail with the same hammer for a very, very, very long time is usually what works for me. Some people just waltz in the room and they take care of the room and, and everybody listens to them and, and they do, you know, they've got, they've got full attention. Um, I'm not one of those people. So for me, I need to just keep on refining what I do over and over and over again, also for myself. Uh, and then as, as so many years ago, somebody then suddenly takes notice and then you've also tried it in so many different configurations and ways which have not worked before. So you also learn that hmm, maybe that wasn't a good move. All right, cool, I won't do that anymore. And after a couple of years, you, you also know what people to surround yourself with, which is, I think, very important. Um, and then suddenly, well, things start to work out. So I think that's, yeah, f for me at least, the, the, the patient approach is, is what seems to work for me. How do you know when to stop hitting the nail with the hammer? Very difficult. <laughs> That's a very, very good question to which there, I think, is no real clear answer because you're hitting, at one point in time, always you've got several hammers hitting several nails. And um, to give you an example, I'm starting a new project next year. Um which creatively was sort of taking me back from to, to, to like a zero point, like reset point. And you know from when you move back there and you start again, you know that you're going to have to hit that nail a lot in a long time. Whereas with other things which run in parallel, like for instance, um, let's say preparing a DJ set, I, don't, I, I know I don't have to hit that nail so long in order to get to a level where I'm satisfied. So there's, there's, there's different answers at the same moment in time with regards to different, different nails that you're hitting. Um, I think for a lot of people, like I do a lot of consulting for people, like uh, young producers who like me to mix their music or just need feedback. I call that critical listening. Um, that's by far the, the main question everybody asks me. And the main problem that everybody seems to circle with. They don't know when to stop. They keep on refining tracks until none of the original essence of, of what that tune maybe once was is left. Um, so I think it's a very valid question. And I think probably for most of us, we should stop hitting that nail sooner than what we're doing. But I, I also know that the reason why you keep hitting the nail is insecurity. You think it's not good enough, so you keep on hammering. In the case of musicians or electronic musicians, they might add a bunch of stuff because they think that what is there is not good enough. So they keep adding sounds or effects or they, they're overcooking the whole thing. And you know, when you overcook any dish, well, in the end, nobody's going to eat it. We're getting so, very deep with the metaphors here. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's true now. I mean, cooking is the same thing. What, 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 I mean, most of the... The things I like to eat are things that are prepared very, very quickly. Uh, even raw. I mean, look, uh, look at sushi. You know, is, is it? Is it? The fish isn't even cooked. So I, I think for a lot of people, the the the, the question of, of of overcooking it has to do with insecurity. So the first thing that you need to do is 
to think about the insecurity, not about the number of effects or the number of sounds that you need to add to your tune. No, think about why you are doing that. Again, motivation. Robert Henke was telling me a similar story about how when he first uh, did his Fragile Territories light installation, he had this certain element that would come in like every three seconds or something, and he wanted it to come in every three seconds because he was nervous that people would get bored and they would leave. And then as he kept doing the installation over the next maybe six years, he started taking that element out, and now it only comes in every nine seconds or something like this. So I get mm-hmm, what you're saying mm-hmm. about sort of like fear. I think it's kind of fear-based, I guess. It's totally fear-based, yeah. Insecurity is fear, and fear is basically the driving source of all our, 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 our problems. Um, and, and I do think that in a very um, fundamental way. Fear is what causes people to not um, realize their full potential. And so what about in terms of production for you? Um, do you see, for example, uh, a new piece of hardware as a motivating or inspiring factor? Like, is buying a new piece of gear and then learning how to use it or being able to make this sound with it, uh, is that a motivation for you? I'd say it's, no, the gear is never the motivation. Um, the gear is sort of, it's it's funny that you bring up this question because I two hours ago I was, I mean, the, the modules are <laughs> lying a meter away. Uh, I've been buying new stuff. Um, the, the gear is not the motivation. The gear is more the, the enabling uh, element in all of this. Right. Um, I'm constantly looking for new ways to get the sounds that I have in my head out there. And, and this is an ongoing quest. And so I keep, I keep myself occupied with, you know, uh, following industry news and, and seeing if there's anything new out there that can help me do that. But it's, it's a tool. What about for your DJing or live sets? Like, is that the motivation as well? Like just trying to get what's in your head out there for people to listen to. Yes. There's going to be a point where I'm going to build something myself. I feel there's what I, what I need out there doesn't really exist. And I've talked to hardware manufacturers asking if they want to modify or, you know, upgrade their existing gear. And nobody has followed my suggestion so far. So I think, in, in, you know, there's going to be a moment where I'm going to find somebody who I can team up with so I can build it myself. Niels Fram does a similar thing where he has this kind of vision of what his sound is meant to be and none of the pianos that are out there will accommodate that. So he just takes them apart and adds things or builds his own from scratch awesome. just because he really wants that specific sound. I can totally understand that, mm-hmm. yeah. Because that's, in the essence, that's, that's what you're constantly looking for as an electronic musician. Um, uh, you know, I, I dream up sounds and I'm thinking, mm-hmm, how can I get that out there? What, what is the sound composed of? You know, these are very good exercises as well as a musician, like analyze the sound. What does it do in terms of timbre? What does it do in terms of time, envelopes, dynamics, curves, whatever? Um, once you figure that out a little bit and once you can describe a sound which is, which is in your head, you can then try and find the tool to make the sound. But sadly... Uh, yeah, my, my quest is still ongoing. And so when you're playing out, uh, you mentioned this kind of wanting to get your sound 
the sound in your head out there for people to listen to. But uh, I also read an interview of yours where you said that uh, one of your goals is to give people as complete an experience as possible, like to have people get really sucked into the music. Mm-hmm. This is a very common sentiment, I think, just in terms of people that I've interviewed. So I'm wondering how it, how you stand out when everyone's goal is sort of the same, if that makes sense. I, I, I don't know what other people's goals are. Mm-hmm. I think that's difficult to say. Um, so that's... Mm, That's not something that I can be concerned with. Um, I know what my goals are. Um, do I need to stand out? I, I don't know if I need to. Um, de facto, what I'm making is me. So there's nobody else who's making that. Or if I'm doing a DJ set, well, nobody is going to play those records in that sequence in that manner. So in a way, you're already standing out when you do that. You could benefit probably from paying more attention to that in terms of visibility and profiling and and building a career. Um, But maybe you will pay price then on the musical front, you know, because there's only so much attention that you you have. You have a certain amount of energy to spend towards the crowd, well, you can do that in several ways. I've never seen someone who does who does all the different aspects of that thing equally powerful. You always have to make a choice. For me, the, the, the best way to go into a situation like that is to, to not really care about, uh, yeah, am I now unique enough? So I guess these conversations are more happening like with yourself, sort of within your own head of like what's good enough for you. Mostly yes, but I, I'm lucky enough to have a few friends I can trust who, when I ask them for um, their opinion, they don't have their ego in the way. Mm-hmm. And they can tell me either clearly like, oh, this is great, or go back to the studio. Um, I don't always listen to them, <laughs> which they don't mind. I think most of the conversation is in your head. But over time, when you've released a lot of music, you also know when that certain moment arrives where your motivation has taken you somewhere and you know that that's exactly where you need to be. And then you also know that you can stop hitting that nail and you can consider it finished. It will never be finished the way you want it to be finished, ever. But at least you can sort of call it a day and then move on to the next thing. You were talking in an interview about your time to express VA stealth, and you were saying that you're starting to believe less and less in the artist as a solo subject. The ego of the artist seems to be the driving force, but I think we exist in a multitude of connections. So I guess that's sort of building on what you were just saying. I mean, do you think that these collaborations or kind of working with other people helps you to figure out where you're going or figure out when to stop, as you said? Yeah, I I think, I mean, collaborations are helpful in many ways. I don't collaborate that much. Um, I have a few, I mean, I have one trusted collaborator, that's Yves Demay. Uh, we've been working together for, for a very long time. Um, for instance, let's, let's, you know, let's pause and stay with that one. That collaboration um, brings me a lot in terms of, of looking at how Eve works and, and looking at what sounds that he comes up with and that he thinks are suitable within the framework, framework of our, our joint project, that tells me something. 
because we are both in that project and I come up with completely different things. And he comes up with other, other things within the same framework and so we have to sort of make that work. And not, not only do you get to know a person um, closely, which, you know, you develop a friendship, which is a beautiful part of collaboration, you also start questioning your own input. And so you can start thinking about, well, what is, what is it that I've delivered here? And can I actually tailor that better to what he's delivered? Or you start thinking about your own output in a social way because you're interacting with somebody. Whereas when you're by yourself in the studio, you need to sort of also try this, this social component onto your music, but it's a bit more abstract. You're thinking about, okay, how will this sound in a certain situation? Or, or if, if I play this, let's say, at a specific fast festival with a specific really nice sound system, how will it sound there? How would people react? So those are the only ways that you have to interact with the object of your creation at that point. In a collaboration, well, you, you can go much further. But I think what I said in that interview wasn't only related to that. I think it was also related to a much bigger context where you know you, you don't exist by yourself. You you make music in a much broader context. You live life in a much broader context. You're not just an individual by itself. You you thrive through the world around you. And I think that's very important. There's even one other level which goes even higher, where I think that a lot of the music that we that we and that's the that we produce, and I, I don't like that word, because um, we, we don't produce the music, we discover it. So that, that for me is the highest plane on which you can have this particular conversation. The music is in a very weird platonic way already out there, and, and musicians bring it back. That completely destroys the idea of the artist as the uber genius who creates something out of nothing. I think that's the biggest fallacy that the art world um, is living in, is that you can create something out of nothing that doesn't exist. <laughs> I was going to say collaboration or sort of just working with people in general seems to be both like an ego boost when you need it, like, yes, that sounds great, keep doing that, but also keeps you grounded, like, no, that doesn't sound good, stop doing that. Absolutely. I mean, working with Eve sometimes, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I make something in the studio... And I leave it for a day or two before I send it to him. It might just be a sound or a sketch. And I think, oh, this is so fucking, this is amazing. This is the best thing I've made in the last months. And I send it over with a bunch of other stuff, thinking that that's going to be the one, you know. And then he just comes back and says, I don't like that one. <laughs> I like the other ones. Yeah. And you're like, really? <laughs> and that sort of puts you, puts you back into place. Can you talk a bit about... Time to express the label and, and what your inspirations are, where the label is concerned. How have those inspirations evolved over the years? They've evolved a lot. I mean, the label has evolved a lot. Um, we are now, we're having this conversation in October 2018. And um, I've decided to pause the label for a while, uh, only recently. Um, at first, it was, it was a very simple situation i had nobody who wanted to release some techno tracks i'd made um they weren't that fast they weren't necessarily that clubby um so i think that's why nobody was was picking up on them and then i had an 
eight-month conversation with a label who was interested, but then in the end they did not. And I just said, well, I'll just do it myself. There wasn't even a philosophy behind it. There, wasn't, there, was, there was no thinking behind it at all. It's just the fact that I've been waiting for eight months now. I still have no contract. I still have no release. I'll just do it myself. I think that's a common scenario for a lot of people Probably. who start their own labels. Yeah. So there was no, there was no real uh, philosophy behind it. Uh, I do, did notice that after a while I, I, I was reverting to certain images in my head when it came to the label. And I started thinking more deeply about that. Um, okay, so w what is it that you like? W what is it that you, you find attractive in, for instance, techno music and the environments in which techno music is played? Um, and, and it brings me back to, you know, the, the teenage years where you've, you've got a 16-year-old who thinks, wouldn't it be great to be part of all this? What makes it great? Well, you know, loud music, bass, strobes, smoke, darkness, um, the thrill of being in a place that is completely unusual. And so I started applying that to the label. Um, and I said that the first three or four years, that was what the label was, was, was known for. And I'd say the last four years, five years, um, I've been wanting to explore more of a psychedelic vibe to the whole thing, um, which I also think right now has come to an end for me. So that's why I'm also pausing it. Um, but I think roughly those were the two main periods that the label went through. Do you feel like artists that want to work with you are sort of attracted by your devotion to music? Or do you think it's more of like an image thing, for example? I mean, I know you release mostly friends and sort of acquaintances, but what do you think it is that attracts people to wanting to release with you? I have no idea. Because, uh, I, you know, I, I, I have to say that I've only released two artists who gave me their music as in hey right. here's some music i really think it fits to your label um and in both cases i was like yeah actually just that's very correct you've observed this properly I'll, I'll, I'll release it all the other artists are people who i asked if i could release their music because they were playing a tune somewhere and that was never not released and like for instance Marco Shuttle was a really good example when he played um, Sing Like a Bird it wasn't released I, I was I was there when he played it I thought to myself this is an amazing tune you know I would like to play this myself so I, I thought it was released so I went up to Marco and I said you know what, what is this thing turns out it wasn't released so I I there and then proposed him like I'll, I'll do it for you I'll, I'll work with you if you want me to And so that's how that came about. Um, so I, I'd say that, except for Dario Zenker and SPX, who, if I remember correctly, are the only two people who actually approached me. All the other artists who ever released on Time to Express were approached by me, or eventually the release was the result of a collaboration or something like that. So I guess I'll ask my question sort of differently. What attracts you to wanting to release an artist's music? Is it as simple as like the tune is good or is it like you can feel someone's devotion to music in what they're making so you want to work with them? Both, I think. Back when, back in the day when we, uh, when we were doing the Photon Collective in Brussels, um, this is way before Time to Express, uh, we had just one rule. Um, we, 
we won't release or work with an artist um, even if he makes the he or she makes the best art in the world um, if she he or she's an asshole we won't work with them okay that that still applies to me so the person needs to be somebody I can identify with but for instance um, with Marco well I, I didn't really know who Marco was turns out he's a nice fellow but he was playing the track and the track is what attracted me um, so I think it's it's a mix of both the personal and the musical, but the musical is, is definitely important. It'll be the first step for me to see if that person is actually also interesting. If if it would have turned out that Marco would not be my kind of vibe, would not have my kind of vibe, I probably wouldn't have released it. But it turns out, you know, we get along fine. So that's like, oh, that's a win on both counts. Let's release this thing. Do you think you can hear in someone's music when they really love music? I think the poetic answer would be yes, but I think the truth is <laughs> maybe not. Um, if you would asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have said, of course, you can hear that. <laughs> but I'm not so sure anymore. Uh, I think, I think uh, the world is not so absolute, so I, I, I don't know. Um, I remember that I've, I've listened to a lot of music and I always thought that the people who were making that music must be the nicest humans around and then somebody tells you something about them yeah, and you're like, meet your heroes. really <laughs> no but that that's impossible that person made that that's you know mm. no 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 uh, stay away from that person right. and you're like damn yeah, that you know you want to believe in that yeah. because indeed you want to believe in in poetry and in, in fairy tales but i think <laughs> it's a fairy tale how do you see your motivations changing or moving or bending in the future? Not just with production or with the label, but just in general in your career as an artist. Um, I, th I think the driving force will always be the fact that, that I have this need to make music. Obviously, it's being translated over the years in, in different motivations or different different output. Um, I think that will that will remain the constant. Um, I think the motivation towards what specifically I have to make or, or need to make will differ. I mean, I see this has already changed in the last five years. Uh, at this point in time, I know that the experimental music I want to make um, or I want to discover is different than what I was occupied with five years ago. And the same goes for the techno I'm making. Um, a very clear example, I feel like there's a motivation right now for me in my production and in my DJ sets to play a bit edgier and obviously well that's what that's what it's going to be so this motivation to to put a bit more of an edge into it uh, is what's probably going to drive me for the next two or three or four years and then we'll see what happens after that I think for every musician it's very important to to always listen to those changing motivations and to apply them because you know your intuition is telling you something <laughs> 